This is Sound Heights Records Podcast, Session 5. The song lyric of the day is by Steve Winwood and Jimmy Miller. If I had my choice of matter, I would rather be with cats, all engrossed in mental chatter, knowing where your mind is at. Well, yes, I hear you, and I understand. I'll be looking for you throughout the show. Welcome to the Sound Heights Records Podcast. Harmonizing life and music, growing as an artist, improving as a person, gaining insight and inspiration, conversations with world-class musicians. Welcome to Sound Heights Records Podcast. This is Yisrael Arye Goodblatt, and today's interview with master mastering engineer Scott Hull very excited to present. This interview was recorded last June, June of 2017. It was right after I sat with Scott at his uh, new studio up in Peekskill, New York. He mastered the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors record, Kadera, onto vinyl. As usual, because he had mastered our previous album, so I'd had a couple more sessions with him. It was a really amazing experience. I mean, Scott has had so much experience and has mastered and created so many great records over the years. It was really amazing to talk to him, um, both sitting and talking to him in his mastering studio and also and to have this interview to hear his story, to get from him perspectives about, about music and the current state of mastering in the digital age. The main thing I gained from speaking to him was actually the confidence to begin the process of learning to master myself. Spending time, years, making music, learning to play and learning to record, learning to overcome being hesitant about just grabbing the process by the throat and really not being afraid to... to try and to make mistakes and ultimately to release finished recordings and finished recordings. Uh, the best ones are traditionally professionally mastered. So how does a independent musician who wants to be releasing a lot of music, who doesn't necessarily have a budget to be paying a professional every release, though it is a really good idea and it was an incredible experience and I, I hope, really hope to do it a lot more to be able to hire a professional mastering engineer, especially in such an incredibly experienced one like Scott, to release recordings, to release your, your work into the world. Though practically, the urge to want to release a lot of things over um, a long span of time. So basically the idea of having the confidence to really make great recordings and, and to finish those recordings. What are the finishing touches of what is mastering? We get into all that in this interview. And ultimately, I emerged from this interview with the confidence to try it myself and to learn and to put it out there and to be willing to make mistakes and to take my passion for music and apply it to boldly completing and releasing the recordings I've made. I'm hoping that this interview has that effect for somebody out there listening as well. 
A big thank you to our Patreon supporters for supporting this podcast and our musical and video releases. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash soundheightsrecords. And without further delay, here's the interview with Scott Hull from Masterdisc. How you doing? I'm doing good. Got in kind of early today. See how much I can get done. It's kind of my social media day. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're gonna gonna start working on some or continue working on some uh, video content and and uh, definitely um, uh, keeping the uh, educational um, concepts. You know, work, working on 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 how we might pull that off. Great. Do you have a, a setup already online where people can go to learn? No, I really don't have uh, anything set up yet. The, the website's my. My mastering master's website's the central location for that, but I also have the scotthallmastering.com, which you know it's it's always been a toss up for me whether I'm promoting me or promoting the studio, hmm. and they're kind of one and the same now. Right, right. I mean, if uh, my two cents are worth any anything, I think that uh, you 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 are the at least for me or the attraction. <laughs> in the studio (laughs) well it's especially for the educational stuff I kind of think that maybe that should come from the uh, from my site could talk about you know everything from you know um, arranging and songwriting through producing through um, you know direct to disc to uh, you know mastering concepts learning educational uh, workshops all that kind of stuff kind of spill off of, of my agenda the masterdisc page is is more of a corporate identity and and uh you know mission statement kind of thing right that that makes sense i mean i i would definitely encourage you to get that your contribution is is absolutely needed people are uh thirsting for what you what you provide in terms of your expertise um kind of a mastering is understood by the lay people as a as a dark art as a concealed in mystery you know yeah i think <laughs> you could shed light was, on you know yeah i think uh, mastering folks have kind of benefited from that uh, <laughs> from that perspective for over the years and it's uh it doesn't fly very well now right you know if you push back the curtain and go like but wait a second i i can do this thing with a plug-in it sounds pretty good so what right. the hell are you talking about right <laughs> and now we're kind of working up an uphill battle of like trying to justify how you know our lofty position on the on the <laughs> right. on the hilltop. <laughs> right. Well, I want to. So I definitely want to get into all that. You know, some of the technical stuff and and what you're planning on, because I'm I'm actually excited to see what you come up with in terms of uh, educational offerings. I, I think I, again, I think that's um, going to be a real commodity. I really think it's you know going to enhance a lot of musicians. Um, careers in the way you know in a way that that uh they haven't been able to access i mean right now it's uh you know as i, sh- I showed you from ari hurston's book you know he, he name drops you as one of the three or four <laughs> experts on mastering in the world which I, I think is is earned i mean it it does seem that that in the that a this particular es- expertise is best left in the hands of of a someone a very experienced expert but then he also does mention um, a website, I forget the name off the top of my head, but where people can, it's like a very inexpensive option. You upload your tracks and they 
uh, mostly for electronic music, I guess, because it can't really tell the difference between vocals and cymbals. But it's like an automatic. <laughs> but people are using yeah, it. And it, uh, it has a has a purpose, but seemingly somewhere between that, completely automated, and a and a an absolutely you know master. And I was looking on your on the all y'all music page, which I'm sure is just a fraction of what you've done. And it listed over 1,800 1800 albums you've mastered. I mean, that kind of experience can't be you know. It's irreplaceable, really. Well, the um, yeah, one of the things that I'm trying to consider as I go along through this is not only um, you know the, the purpose of having this educational material to draw people into the business and you know as well as being just just good support for um, for the community, but um, trying to create offerings, uh, a product and service offerings that uh, fall in line. With people who are looking for, looking um, who would be looking for that information. Absolutely. So, in other words, a uh, you know um, a workshop or a tutorial series or a ebook or you know um, um, uh, don't know. I haven't I haven't flushed flushed that well, out enough. To, you know, take me for example. I, again, between between your level of expertise and on the other extreme, some kind of automated system. There's um, and I, I think there'll always be a, a, a demand for your expertise. Meaning, if I if I'm coming out with an album like I, you know, just coming out with the, the album we just, you know, you just mastered, um, Kadera for the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors, you know, I, I definitely I, I, I want to put that in the hands of someone who you know has the experience and the and the um, the ears like like you do. And the, but but if you know in between, if I'm putting out a track. And uh, you know, I don't necessarily cannot, cannot necessarily, and most musicians, I think, is the similar. If you want to put out a track every month and you want to be be really engaging with with an audience, with more and more material, it's it's not necessarily cost effective to um, you know master every single you know meaning meaning to the the model. It seems to me that that would work for a lot of musicians um, is you know uh, is to have have certain projects that are professionally packaged and mastered with professional, you know, the engineering, mixing, um, you know, even, even the video and graphic design being put in on a, on a professional level and other things being kind of do it yourself, um, where you have certain tracks that are, that are put out. And so therefore to enhance that, that skill the, of the in-between tracks, let's say the ones I might not be pouring a lot of money into, but I, but I definitely want to release. I want them to sound good to gain that level, you know, some, some kind of knowledge, basic knowledge to be able to have, you know, even to use a plug-in, but then to have a sense of what I'm looking for in a good master. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I hear you. I actually did some of this uh, early on when um, net labels were just getting started. Um, um, I saw an opportunity to offer a, you know, real low budget, I mean, like obscenely low, mm -hmm. you know, per song mastering that was essentially plug-in, you know, almost exclusively plug-in based from our standpoint because right. of the speed that we'd have to do them at to justify. But also, um, um, they could be used as uh, as training purposes for junior engineers and mm -hmm. things. So okay, there's actually a way to do like, you know, $40 uh, um, mastering um, in an environment like this that kind of makes sense. You just have to you have to cut through. We cut down all of the iterations. Right. You know, it's it's the one shot thing. It's mostly the plugins. You know, you spend fifteen minutes, like 10, 15 minutes on a song, kind of max. But if you're doing, 
you know, 20 songs a week that way, it sort of adds up to something. And yeah. it's a good experience. Um, I didn't get as, well, I didn't, I didn't market it particularly. Uh, uh, I just, a few people found me and I started doing them. Um, there wasn't enough of them to, to, um, to, to turn it into a thing. But right. that's what the internet's for. <laughs> this is essentially that, that meaning someone sent you a track for like a low price, like $40. And you would basically automate most of it, but use your ears for 15 minutes just to, to double check on the on the overall. Um, well, yeah, I wouldn't even maybe not even automate, but just but just um, using plugins permits me to um, you know get a setting, confirm it, do, um, check heads and tails, and then print it um, uh -huh. if it's if it's good. Um, well, there's so I, I've got I, I hear you, and there's kind of two thoughts on this. Uh, one is to educate, and the other is to offer this. Um, um, uh, educate and support, right. like to be there as a as maybe just a um, as a quality control right. device. You know, for ten dollars a track, I'll listen to it, and if it, something sounds wrong, I'll throw up a flag and suggest maybe that you spend a little more time, you know, or, or remaster, or you didn't notice that the bass was out of phase right. on this one. Right. Because well, the problem I yeah. see is you don't know what you don't you don't know what you leave it on the table right. if you're not experienced enough. Well, I think the theme, it seems like when you're talking about education and, um, I mean, I think the theme is really empowering, you know, if it, with a little bit of knowledge about what, I mean, which I'd like to talk about a little bit today, but I, I actually, the, the technical aspects of, of mastering and, the, and getting empowered in terms of really knowing what is the bottom line basic thing when someone is, is engaging in mastering, I mean, I, that's, I think, the real um, key of it is, is just is being empowered that yeah, I, I feel like I can I can I know what a good master I know the difference between a well-mastered track and one that that is not there yet or, or needs work yeah that's that's one of the an interesting point and bring it back later in the conversation I want but mm -hmm. pro mastering engineers have no problem telling the difference between a well-mastered track and one that's not regardless of who did it well how long do you think it would take for for you know a regular musician maybe who has some engineering experience um but but really doesn't have a clue what, what mastering is. Um, how long would it take them um, to, to learn that just basic baseline? Uh, it's about sound. a year of full time assistantship is wow. what it takes. Wow. Even um, just to hear the difference between a between. Oh a no, to be able to yeah. distinguish the difference. No, a DJ can tell can do that almost instinctually. Right. Right. I mean, all I have to do is is learn the language, um, and you know that could be a two week master, but that could be a a, a one or two week intensive. Uh, thing and and would they have they'd have the language they'd know they'd know what they were hearing or have a better way of describing what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. That's part of the problem is if you you can tell there's a difference but you don't know what's not what you don't like about it. Right, and, then and, yeah. and, and, and another really difficult thing is you don't don't know necessarily know if what you're hearing is a fault of the mix or a fault of of the mastering. And even we're left to guess uh -huh. most of the time about that. Right, but then all right, then you don't know what to change. I mean, you know, that that's the idea of empowering. Like if if some even if you hear something. And you could tell something not is not quite right, but you have no idea what to what to do about it. You know. Yeah. Whereas you would know exactly what to do about it, or or even you're saying even, you know, um, in some cases it might be a mystery. You know, you'd have to work around, um, master. You yeah. know, mixing, mixing uh, shortcomings. You know. Yeah. Exactly. We we you know everybody likes to, we'll fix it in the mix. We'll fix it in the mastering. You know, we'll fix it in the shrink wrap. Right. Yeah, everyone kind of wants to just push the problem down right. the street. But um, um, and it's hard to if you put the push the problem back up the process because you're you're blaming somebody. Right. You know, like um, you know, you're and you're potentially exposing somebody's weaknesses in front of the clients. So right. That's, that's right. 
the problem. But I, I, th- I think in, t- in today's culture, it would seem that, that most people who are sincere about what they're doing are not so concerned with being criticized because they're essentially they're hungry to learn. And, if, you know, for example, if I, if I sent you a mix that I did, you know, as, a, as someone who's, you know, mildly experienced mixing, but not, no, by no means is that my, you know, I've done it, I do it on my own tracks. Um, and you would to tell me, well, you know what, this mix, you know, is, is lacking this or lack. I mean, for me, that would be an invaluable education right there. I, I, I'd welcome I'm, that, you know. I'm doing a fair amount of that. I just replied to an email this morning that somebody was looking for a master engineer that would give them mix feedback before, you know, doing the mastering. Um, and it's become, been written about more and more. Some people are including it in the cost of a, a higher of a premium package, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where where I'm going with the with the product offerings or service offerings that are in line with uh, what people actually need. If there's an entry level, um, um, check your check your mix and okay it. Versus, and then the next one is you know an avowal, which is a little more expensive than. Um, you know, full service thing includes all of all, all of the above, but it's it's interesting because you know, about half the time that works great, and about the other half of the time <laughs> we're dealing with, with tracks and mix that are so bad, right, right, that <laughs> you really don't know where to start. And I, they end up sending me a, a session, and they really just want they need somebody that knows what they're doing mixing it. Right, right, <laughs> and that that must be a hard thing for some people to hear saying, listen you're not ready <laughs> you know you need to bring it to a professional mixing engineer yeah because they don't yeah. they don't quite they're not able they're able to hear it in other people's music but often they're not able to hear it in their own right um yeah. the, the problems they're too close to it maybe so you know you know what i mean i could talk to you all day about <laughs> technical stuff and, and <laughs> well if you don't I, I, let me wrap up by saying i i hope i can uh, just um uh, hit you with some ideas sure. uh, and some preliminary stuff and get your feedback that would be really helpful well definitely and i and i want to and i want to get back to this so you hopefully you have time at the end but i but i want to i want to just focus for a moment if it's okay on just how you got to where you you, you are um and, and, just, and just, you know obviously that that's you know could probably fill a book but it just in the time that we have i, I mean i i guess we, to start with i mean obviously you chose a career in music so some somehow you know you started with some kind of inspiration what was your your um, your original insp- or or what can you remember going as far back as you can? What inspired you uh, to get into you know to be make music your life? Well, it's it's it was pretty simple. I mean, it was uh, I was involved in school music, a trombone player. Um, that was sort of the beginning. Family was was involved in music. Went to concerts and both classical and and actually folk and bluegrass uh, were kind of the things I was exposed to. Um, Interestingly enough, I didn't sort of discover and figure out what rock was about until years later. But um, um, uh, I was just naturally curious about jazz and um, experimented and played. Uh, we created some of our own uh, uh, improvised music. Um, and at the junior high school level, we were we were playing without music. We were playing by ear and, and uh, uh, myself and a few other friends. So there was this uh, you know real deep curiosity about music and how to create it. But I, I was involved in a, a, a high school music program that um, uh, led me to understand that what I really liked was uh, a combination of the electronics, the musicians, um, and recording. Um, really early cassette recording I was fascinated with, so I got, you know, if anybody wanted something recorded, I was the, hmm. I was the guy. I was, what I what was age there. are we talking about that you started to... Uh, that's, that's, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th grade, you know, this, is, this was you know, pretty early on and the technology was pretty was pretty rudimentary. What what equipment did you, know? you have then? 
Um, uh, a pair of cassette recorders, um, <laughs> and a, and a Radio Shack stereo microphone. That was pretty much my arsenal. <laughs> so would you you would sync up? I mean, you had like to get a stereo recording. You'd use two. No, I didn't or? understand how what I, I didn't read about what bouncing was, but I figured out that if I recorded onto one machine and then copied it to another machine while adding new tracks, I could I could add oh, stuff. Oh wow! To you it. created a multi-track. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I should have you know I, I should have been um, paying attention to Les Paul, but I, I didn't actually <laughs> know much about that at the time. What? what um, yeah. So that was in the that was in. Um, Late seventies, uh-huh. um, but it was it was in kind of a vacuum. Uh, upstate New York um, wasn't in a real metropolitan area, um, but we had a good you know, school music program. I just um, uh, figured out or found found out about this little known uh, focus or major, you know, uh, that was on sound recording technology, and there has it happened was one school in upstate New York in at Fredonia. A SUNY school that had this program. Mm-hmm. And so then it was my entire focus went to getting into that program. It turns out it wasn't all that easy. They only accepted 25 students per year into this program, and you had to get in on a classical instrument. But fortunately, I had developed really good solo trombone shops. Uh-huh. I got in easily into the music department, but my grades uh, kept me on this. I didn't get in until the second or third ballot, um, mm-hmm. but I did get into the program. And then, and then it was just everything I wanted to do. It was, it was, uh, we were uh, studying light physics, uh, you know, acoustics, uh, digital and electronic circuits, um, and we were up all night in the studio, you know, recording. I mean, I right my, my first day I was there, I stuck my nose up against the glass of the recording studio and saw somebody inside recording and didn't leave until they let me come in. You know, I was just, <laughs> I was just dying to be there. Um, and I, I didn't realize until later that that was uh, somewhat unusual, that other people were like waiting to be invited into the situation and, you know, were kind of waiting until they had learned stuff. Right. I just, I wanted to be there. I wanted to watch. I wanted to be around pro- musicians. It was, I was the guy, when we went to concerts, I stood behind the mixer and just, you know, was just fascinated by what he was doing, trying to figure out why he was doing what he was doing. Well, the- so um, that seemed to go in a flash. That was four years of a bachelor of uh, science program uh, when I also doubled on trombone performance. But towards the end of that, uh, part of our, our course study was usually an internship, and I got lucky. Um, the day I was to sit down with my uh, professor and and started inquiring about interns, uh, uh, he had just gotten off the phone with Bob Ludwig, who was looking for an intern for the summer. Hmm. And my professor looked at me and looked at the phone and said, how about Bob Ludwig? <laughs> and um, it was uh, an opportunity that I had. I had really, at the time, had no idea how how um, how big time, you know, top of the heap kind of deal that was. Um, so uh, a summer internship at Masterdisc went really, really well. Um, hugely famous people in the door every day. I mean, it was literally um, Steve Perry, Journey. It was Mick Jagger. It was uh, Carly Simon. It was it was Dan Warwick. It was. Uh, it was uh, Herbie Hancock, and uh, it was it was you know anybody and everybody hmm. through the door every day. I, I couldn't possibly um, list just the people I saw in, in just that summer. Wow. Um, and uh, so it worked out really well. Um, I went back and finished my degree, but uh, had gotten commitment from them that they were interested in hiring me. So um, uh, when I when I graduated, um, I started with them the next summer. And uh, was that master just for then for 15 years? 
How many of those years were on were with Bob Ludwig? Uh, uh, until '93, so that was from '84 uh, through '93. So nine years of nine and change of really being uh, starting out as just a general studio assistant, but then being very um, focused on um, uh, assisting. But not uh, my purpose was to allow him to be as productive as he possibly could be. Mm-hmm. I really. I really took uh, on a, my personal agenda was to, um, you know, uh, uh, be the attentive assistant and, you know, be kind of on top of things, mm-hmm. get things set up before he got started, be, you know, wrap things up, um, uh, client amenities. And, you know, I really kind of, I, I really enjoyed managing the session so that um, the, 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 the gnarly stuff, the stuff that would interrupt the, the workflow uh, didn't get in his way. Mm. Um, it wasn't easy at first. Um, but it, 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 it took a few, a little bit of trial and error to figure out how to stay out of the way. Right. But um, uh, at that point, it was interesting because I, I, my colleagues who had gone to the same program that I were were on the road with named bands and were recording, you know, big, you know, bigger and bigger projects, and we're getting some notoriety and getting the names on some big records. And I started to wonder whether I'd put my ladder up against the wrong building. <laughs> Uh, I didn't specifically know I wanted to be in mastering. It uh-huh. just that's where my internship led, and and it was such a cool environment. I was kind of like, how could I not want to be involved in mastering? But I was also still really deeply interested in in recording and being with musicians mm-hmm. in, in at the creation process. So um, mastering, fortunately, I left left me some uh, weekends off, and so I started building a home studio um, to kind of uh, fill that gap. Um, uh, was playing in a band and we needed a place to record. So I started putting together an eight track with a small mixer and then that became a 16 track. And then at some point I decided, well, maybe I really could do this for real on the weekends. Mm. And I bought a, a Harrison 32 input analog console and put it in the basement of the house and, and, uh, built, you know, built out sort of in a in crude way, a garage studio for garage bands mm. to come in and record. And this was also in upstate New York. So I was working about 60 hours a week, um, Monday to Friday, um, literally, um, not wow. even, that's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> that's my, was my average hours that I put in over the course of the year. And then, you know, zooming upstate an hour and a half to, um, uh, uh, to, uh, Dutchess County where I would, uh, you know, a band would load in on Friday night and we'd make a record and I'd return to master disc on Monday with the masters of a, of a, a mixed recorded and mixed uh, at the at my little studio wow so i it, it was great but i was getting it was easy to imagine getting kind of burned yeah. out on all of that but um um just as that was starting to grow bob ludwig left master disc and then all of a sudden i had the opportunity if i could if i could fill his shoes to um take over that room um and become you know and really put my own name on the door and begin the process i mean it takes. It certainly takes a while to get, you know, a reputation in mastering. Mm-hmm. But back then, it took even longer because you had to convince an owner that you were going to be able to bring in you know, that you were the right horse to put their money on, right. that you were going to bring in enough work to justify holding down a you know half a million dollar room, um, or you know at least reserving it. And and they did didn't do a lot of room shares back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be. A, a main guy and an assistant in each room, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a night engineer or a second staff, but that was that was pretty much it. So you you you, you had to 
kind of already be able to demonstrate that you had the goods before you were ever given the opportunity to work full time in a room. It's tricky. It's hard. Um, it's a little easier to make that gener- that that leap now because the, you can outfit a, a decent mastering room for a lot less money and do it in your own small environment. Right. Right. Um, back then, well, and and let me clarify. I mean, this was um, um, still into the um, you know the mi- early to mid eighties. Late, you know, Ludwig left Masterdisk in ninety three, but the um, you know the transition to CD had clearly happened at that point. But early on. Uh, my all my experience was about setting up for vinyl uh, recording, mm-hmm. vinyl mastering. We um, um, we were doing very very little digital. Occasionally, some digital sources would come in, mm-hmm. Staley Dan on 3M Digital or uh, on Soundstream on classical recordings. But there was very um, and JVC. But there was very little um, um, digital output product. There was nothing, no way to deliver that to the consumer mm-hmm. until the CD really took off and, and it was a very slow start to cd it was done sort of as a it's like well we don't think anybody's really going to get interested in this but we're you know we need to make a, a digital master because phillips wants to fill their racks with equipment and mm-hmm. you know so does sony so that's um um that's what led me up to uh, being the chief engineer at master disc well and the well, uh, 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 uh about mid 90s so let me ask you just to go to go back so that's I, one of the things that I, that I, in hearing your your story, that I think is it sounds unique in in those times, you know, in the trends in the or the days of of the transition from vinyl to CD, and you kind of really got in there with vinyl expertise, and then trend, you know, in the early days of, of the digital, um, you know, taking over, but the, the what what amazes me about your story, and it's it's that is the now then then it was very unique. And but now that's the path. How anybody could, um, you know, the whole do-it-yourself, the, the the following your passion to do it because you love it, and then turning it into a career, is something that probably was 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 very rare when you did it. But nowadays it's like that's the that's how everybody says you have to do it. <laughs> you know, there's no you know going to a big studio and saying you know going to a school learning engineering and then going to a, a school a big studio and saying hire me is like, uh, you know, maybe that worked back in, in the 50s, 40s or 50s. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays you have to have that, yeah. that, that, home, that homespun experience. Well, yeah, but let me also add that there was, you know, I, um, I, I, I tend to err on the side of, of my own personal humility, so I'm just going to, for the sake of accuracy, okay. let me just toot my own horn a little bit. <laughs> There had been several other uh, interns, and there had been several other assistants before and after me, but none, but few were hired. Right. Um, so it was. It it took an, an exceptional effort to to carve out a career path where there wasn't one prior. Um, right. And and in fact, I didn't actually take the internship thinking I was going to have a career at the studio. I was I was looking to build experience and expecting at the end of the summer to go like. Okay, well that was that was cool. Now I'm I, I'm gonna go find a studio to you know to carry the garbage out for and kind of do the same sort of thing. But they were they were um, r- really pleased with my results um, um, and that um, you know and even at that there was the, the the job offer was well we don't actually have a position for you but we'll give you three months um, pay you minimum wage and we'll see what happens. And so that's that was the job offering, but I but it was I was so clear in my mind that I was able to help them 
uh, do more with less and and build uh, and and just I was just I don't know where I got the confidence from, but it would, um, it was there. Well, well, I think I think <laughs> what sets you what sets you apart. I mean, hearing your story, and again, I'm, I'm not I'm not at all uh, diminishing it, but considering the fact that that's become a mainstream. Um, not 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 necessarily that everybody does this, but that's become kind of the clarion call of this is how you succeed. Meaning you you find you you find your passion, and you go you do more than anybody else, and you 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 know meaning because mm-hmm. you love it. You, you know, making a home studio and then working all those extra hours and making sure that, you know, Bob Ludwig had, you know, had everything, you know, that, that kind of approach. You know, when I, when I, um, I interned up at the, the Clubhouse studio <laughs> and, you know, I saw there, there was definitely, yeah, definitely uh, a different, there was a whole bunch of interns and some of them were super on top of their game, you know, and... Uh, and they basically lived at the studio, you know. And here I was; I was already, you know, I had I had two kids, and I was married, and <laughs> and uh, I couldn't I couldn't keep up, you know. I was, uh, I was hardly there. I mean, I was there a lot of hours, but um, considering I was I was also working as a rabbi at that time, it wasn't the whole idea of balancing a, a life, and you know, that initial stage of getting involved. I mean, I guess it's 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 kind of a it seems kind of a young man's game or a young woman's. Uh, game to to get involved um, yes, early I, with I, that I those those incredible amount of hours and you know be able to devote. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. There's um, it takes a special sort of you know um, uh, adjustment and expectations to be able to um, to put yourself into a, a learning situation in, in pro audio. You know, after you've got the commitment to the family house and and you know and and you know maybe some other career. I've 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 had people uh, do that the, the crossover with me, and a few have been successful. Mm-hmm. Most are really unaware of of just how long it takes to get good. Um, there was there was one 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 real big omission in my story, mm-hmm. and uh, that was uh, my bet my my fortune. That the person who was teaching the program that I uh, that I was um, learning at in Fredonia was David Moulton, um, who is um, not you know widely widely known, but has written some very uh, um, intricate and exquisite exquisite books about um, audio and recording, and um, um, uh, uh, just a really deep thinker. I mean, he uh, in hindsight he really taught our class of course in audio as a uh, liberal arts with a focus on technology. Hmm. Um, we learned, we, from the very beginning, we learned how to learn and how to adapt to technology and how to get the most out of the situation. And there was even a fair amount of instruction done on the sociology of a session and, and the people involved in the session and uh, the way we were um, forced to work in groups um, and had to get along with people that we didn't really get along with well but we had to figure out how to make music happen with hmm. them um uh it was a small group community but it was really taught with skills towards the learning of skills that we really needed we all didn't know how much we needed we were actually like dave what you know what the hell is this going to do for us hmm. <laughs> what is what does this all mean and he would always say don't worry about it you'll do fine <laughs> <laughs> and it was his mantra um that really gave us uh, the confidence when we got out in the world and realized, wow, I figured this out. And there's four other guys in the room that are senior to me that didn't, couldn't figure this out. Uh-huh. And uh, that was, uh, so that was, that was big. Um, 
I couldn't have made that leap into the pro uh, pro environment and been successful without that kind of grounding, um, either you know uh, as a private instruction or you know personal. Um, um, it, but I also couldn't have done it without the the personal drive, the passion that you're talking is, about. Is, so that it's, is, is there a book of of his that you that's available today that you could recommend? There's a giant tome, that's uh, uh, Principles of Audio Recording, I believe, by David Moulton. He also has a, a Moulton Labs has a, a, is an amazing website of just endless um, intellectual discussions about audio. Um, and uh, so he's, he's widely published on his own website, has published articles in magazines. He actually wrote an article with me for, for uh, about that studio that I talked to you about that I built in my uh-huh, mom's basement uh-huh. in Dutchess County. Uh, it's called Orchard Studio. Because uh, we literally were inside of an apple orchard, uh, where our property was, but it was um, um, he was big. Still, he's uh, still with us. He just got an AES uh, uh, achievement award uh, this uh, past year for education. Um, uh, he's uh, he made a, a big difference in a lot of my generation's hmm. um, getting started in pro audio. Um, the program still exists at Fredonia, uh, and it's really nicely run. But several of its graduates run programs like it, you know, in different parts of the country. He, he's, he's still there. <laughs> he's not. He's not still there. He had moved on from State University to Berkeley, and then as a, in sort of a private practice and and his private um, uh, teaching and writing. Um, he's held some patents on speaker design, um, uh, and and just just an all around great guy. I just wanted to. Um, mentioned the uh, the significance of that kind of a, a jump start. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about how to, how to repeat my steps yeah. in in life, that's uh, um, that's a big gap because I, I see a lot of people come to me from from um, uh, shorter duration programs or programs that aren't quite as well thought out mm-hmm. that that need more that that need more support that need more um, drilling that that. Um, I haven't haven't been given the the real expensive information. <laughs> so do you th- you think it's possible? I mean, you think it's necessary to have a mentor and, um, you know, good structured material to learn from. It's not. I mean, the do-it-yourself model. Do you think it that's feasible to become um, successful? It's, it's been I mean, done. Yes, yeah. it's. Uh, I'll say it in sort of yeah. two ways. It's been done successfully. Um, I know it's um, it's a hard. Um, you know, experimentation, you know, run, row. But if you're paying a lot of attention and if you're referencing your work to other people's work mm-hmm. and you're getting feedback as you're doing it, um, yeah, you'll build your own processes that work for you. Um, uh, the difference here was, you know, we you know, literally had four, you know, nearly four years of, of intensive sort of this is – well, well, let me say it a different way. There are um, programs um, worldwide now that um, can really replicate this um, uh, and and give you a, a really good foundation. Um, but you, you've got to bring you've got to bring your own passion and your own curiosity right. and, and your own drive to it, of course. Well, let me. Let me if it, but, oh, yeah. So you're, yeah. But the DIY, the DIY process, I've seen it work really well. It's kind of interesting uh, uh, in terms of mastering specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, t- develop the techniques on your own, you'll come up with very different ways of doing it from the way you know um, I I do what I do and other you know people that I've worked with uh, you know in sort of the pro you know master disc and Sterling Sound kind of level of things. But um, 
you know, it's the proof's in the pudding. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you're able to achieve this, uh, you know, a, a result that people think sounds as good, then it, it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot how you right. got there. Um, I, 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 I want to j- just go back uh, over your story for a second. Just something that that I find fascinating that we didn't really touch on, which, uh, um, if you don't mind, in terms of specifics, meaning. I go back to when I first asked you your, your influences and you got into music, you got excited about recording. Um, I wanted to know what, were there certain recordings or certain, certain music that in particular um, really got to you, really, really got you, you know, fired up in the early days, I mean, as a kid or, you know, and as a young, younger person. Um, going back early, early, it's not quite as clear for me. So uh, it was, I was, kind of more interested in, in figuring out how to what notes on the piano to play to, that sounded good and I was kind of more of an experimenter but um, you know a little bit later um, uh, jazz of all form, forms was really the where most of my curiosity went but then I, I found myself fascinated with Chicago Transit Authority uh-huh. their very first record I was a trombone player, didn't find out till later that the trombonist had written many of the arrangements and some of the songs um, that, that had become, you know, became their, um, um, their, um, uh, their hits. Uh-huh. Um, but it just was, um, it was uh, creative. I, I actually, uh, coincidentally, just uh, <laughs> thanks to um, um, Amazon uh, Music, I, I went back and listened to that record while I was painting. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, painting the house a, a few weeks, a few months ago, and um, it was it was like I was transported wow. back to that time when I was first first was listening to it, and, and hearing it now with my my today ears right. was very very interesting. I was still very impressed with it, but I it the record was all over the place. There was uh, from a commercial standpoint, right. there was all different styles of music, everything from freeform, distorted electric guitar. Um, uh, jam band stuff, like through little pop tunes and uh, salsa, you know, uh, you know, uh, Latin-inspired rhythms and stuff. The record was really all over the place, um, and um, I thought that was normal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that that was unusual. So that's what I. That's sort of what became a, a, um, um, you know, that that's I, 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 why I think, if nothing else. Um, why um, genre shifting and genre, genre labels uh, don't really bother me. It, right. it's, uh, I, I expect there to be that kind of variety in a, in a project. <laughs> um, but um, beyond that, um, you know, I kind of went back in time and kind of learned jazz, you know, backwards from what was current at the time. Return to Forever was kind of current. So that I figured, you know, I was reading credits even kept a little card catalog of my own to, to, to keep track of who was on what records. And so I'd follow Herbie Hancock back into his records and find, you know, or then pick up along there on, you know, Ron Carter or um, Stanley Clark, or then I'd find, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, a sax player here or there or, uh, or a trumpeter mm. that, uh, that I want to learn more about. But, um, it, it was really focused around jazz a lot, but, but I also found myself really curious with, um, with uh, other sort of um, with, with um, how things um, how things were created, I, 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 from, um, uh, I mean, for no particular reason other than it was in the house. There was this record, uh, the original cast recording of Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. and okay, completely different sort of right. record, vocal 
but I mean, I had really nothing in character in common with the jazz records. But I found myself really curious because of the way the songs were put together, and the, the, there was some electronics, there was some crazy guitar work done, um, infused with. So, so I was, I was, yeah, I, I was interested in the fusions of of sounds, uh, the different styles uh, put together, and not surprisingly, that's kind of what where my mastering. My career led me to. When you, when you would go on, um, on the journey of, of looking at cr- album credits and following the musicians from album to album, would you also at that time be looking for who was engineering the records? Uh, did that interest you? Did you notice names then? I, I, um, I, we, yes, we had noticed a few, but I actually wasn't hip to understanding what that uh-huh. meant. Um, pro, you know, no one explained to me what produced by you know, meant. Right. Um, I guess I should have thought a little bit about why their name was bigger than everyone else's, but um, I was an instrumentalist, so I was really just at the time focused on who was playing. Um, um, the, the, um, I, I, that was sort of the gap. Mm. I, if I um, had an opportunity to even just visit a recording session, that would have uh, early in those days. It would have. Um, it would have. Uh, I would have known well, <laughs> more about what I was. What I was learn- What I was hearing. Later on, when you when you obviously when you started to to get deep into engineering, did you go back into some of those albums that that you loved uh, and and kind of dig up the the influences that you know the engineering i mean i i, I just saw a documentary um about george martin have you seen it it was um yeah yes uh so that whole his whole story is pretty you know it's pretty yeah it's amazing, amazing. yeah and um that whole did you did you study or i don't know in, in one of the, in your um when you studied in the program or in other times look back on on recording history and that and there's certain figures in in history that that have inspired you um, yeah, it's it's more collectively, and um, um, I, well, I, I, I've kind of I cataloged them. It's more of a mental catalog for me than a, um, a you know um, um, rem- remembering techniques and and things. Uh-huh. Um, I do have some friends who um, that you know will read the Beatles book or uh, Jeff Emmerich's book, and. Um, and then say, well, let, you know, let's do this because that's the way they did it. Let's let's see how it sounds. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know, something about me doesn't it doesn't connect to me quite that way. I remember the stories. I remember the, the you know the way things sound. But my but I I almost always feel like I'm starting from. I, I enjoy starting from loose puzzle pieces right. um, and just trying to rearrange them. In a pattern that that makes that that current situation sound good to well, me. It sounds like that jet, that um, jazz spirit of, of invention and improvisation. You don't want to be yeah, too too rooted, reason, you know, rooted in the past, but not too rooted, you know. Yeah, it's it's it it really feels right to me if it it's, if it reminds me or if it, you know mentally sort of gives me a picture of something that I think is appropriate or cool, but. Um, I don't. I'm not quite sure which what the reason for that is, but. Um, um, as much as I admire the, you know, the Quincy Joneses and the, and the, um, it's just, just the, a name after name yeah. after name of people that have done this. Um, it's sort of eclipsed all of that sort of early learning. Um, uh, you know, uh, my own exploration was sort of eclipsed by um, when I went to MasterDisc and you know was literally sitting next to the producers of the day, right. uh, Bob Page and Bob Clearmountain and the. Um, um, uh, just et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I literally could go on and on. Terry Manning, 
uh, you know, the names are popping into my head as I'm thinking. But well, this is the thing. I mean, it, um, must, it must be. I mean, you, because you've worked with so many artists and so many albums, it must be very hard for you to just you know, n- you know, name, you know, talk. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love for you, if, if you don't mind, just to, to think of maybe I know because I know there's probably so many you wouldn't want to favor one over the other necessarily in your recollections. But I, I would I would love if you could just maybe first comes to your mind a very memorable experience with an artist or um, that that was, you know, in your work that that stuck with you. That was, uh, you know, a really inspiring experience for you. Well, it was a a thrill thrills to have an opportunity to even be in a session once with Donald Fagan. Okay. So uh, the first time that was, I was just hoping I could stay afloat, you know, <laughs> and that he wouldn't, that I wouldn't get, you know, run aground by, by his questions or his, his precision. Um, I had been, um, as an assistant in sessions with Donald and Bob Ludwig, so I, I and uh, during during the remastering of the uh, of, of really of the whole Steely Dan catalog, uh-huh. the very first time it was remastered for Didge, um, and then through an opportunity um, in uh, when when Donald made his solo record, Comicuriad, I had an opportunity to you know um, to to uh, create some mastering work with him in the studio, so it was initially just hoping that my skills and that my my perceptions were up to the task and i was i was really happy to find they were i mean he was happy with what, what i was doing and and um we, we made it through it wasn't it, it wasn't the way i would have done a session today but it was um but it was you know what he wanted and and what we what was needed but it, we had some of the conversations that i had with him throughout then that record and through other records were very interesting like what like for example like what what is something well, that you got from those well, it was. Um, um, we talked a little bit about intonation, about about uh, tuning. I'm not quite sure how we got there, but uh, we talked about. Uh, I think we were just waiting for something to happen or for lunch to uh-huh. show up. We were literally just talking, and he said he really does not did not like to play anything um, on his records at that time that he couldn't um, tune specifically. So piano, Rhodes, Wurlitzer. Those were the, um, you know, electronic keyboards. I think I, I, I was into electronic synthesis at the mm-hmm. time with the, uh, at a um, DX7 and a Mirage and a, and a, 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 a sequential circuits uh, um, profit um, keyboard. So I, I was kind of into that for, parenthetically, uh, you know, in my own writing, creating. And so I might have asked him about electronic keyboards. And he said they just don't sound right to him. And so I asked him a little further. And he was so used to hearing the stretch of an acoustic piano that um, equal temperament without the stretch didn't sound right to him. Hmm. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is this is at a much deeper level that I'm used to talking with musicians what about. Is, what is that exactly? <laughs> so so if you I mean, if you have an acoustic piano that, that's tuned and tempered, um, and then you have, let's say, a digital piano that's sampled, you know, from each key. What, what, what's, what's missing? What's the, the well, gap? Well, uh, that's, that's what wasn't happening. Those electronic keyboards at that time weren't multi-samples. Um, they were synthesis. Oh, okay. So a synthesized, a synthesized, you know, like a DX7 yeah. or something, um, um, each octave was perfectly in tune. But an acoustic piano, uh, a piano tuner knows instinctually that they has to stretch the the octaves to make them sound pleasing to right, the ear. Right. So a you know a, 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 an A three octaves up isn't an exact multiple of you know four forty, right. 
um, you know, it's a it's a little bit stretched. Got oh, okay, that's what um, okay, bit stretched. Got so it. that's what. But if you if you did multi if uh, when multi sample samplers came about, you know, several years later, I'm sure uh, that that it would probably made it easier on his on his ear, because those could actually be you know of of a of a an instrument that had been uh, carefully tuned and 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 not only tempered but. Um, Stretched. Uh, you know, I'll t- I'll tell you, Comic Period. When I was in I was in high school, that was that was one of our favorite albums. My, my friends that you know I played with and I and, and uh, that that album just you know it sounds so good. I've, I've turned up. There's a song on there, Florida Room. Um, uh huh. That with the you know this amazing horn section and it. Um, I, I I met my wife. She was living down in Florida. I used to fly down there, um, like every other weekend to to see her <laughs> and. <laughs> So we got, got, I mean, got in, at one point got in the car, and uh, I think it was, it was very early when we were dating, and I, I just cranked Florida Room as we were driving down, you know, Florida Highway. It was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, did that, so you ended up, and did you work on, um, on Nightfly also with, with Bob Ludwig? Or with the, only the, only in, uh, really, um, they had finished that before I interned, and so they were in doing some... They, they had really finished it and released it before, and it didn't coincide with my internship. But the record came across as, as you know, remastering, or not remastering, but recutting additional parts um, as the record became successful. They, they ordered more parts. So I heard the record in the, in the mastering studio, but um, I wasn't there for the, the mastering of that but record. You, but you did, of course, the um, most, or if not all, of the, the Donald Fagan and, and Steely Dan stuff si- uh, since then, since Kamakari. Yeah. It was on and off. I can't take credit for all of it. I did work with him on Two Against Nature, which is the right, big the, the um, Grammy album. I, I wanted to ask you about that. So first of all, I, I love that album too. That's you know incredible sounding yeah, record. Yeah, that, that one that was that was pretty so, amazing. The, the, my question. Uh, this is I was looking up. Um, you know, the, the album obviously won Best Album of the Year, and it won for in the Grammy, and it won Best Engineered Album. But wh- yeah. how come you, I, I didn't see your name? I was looking for your name on the um, on the list of engineers. How does that? How does that? How does yeah, that work? Yeah, well, there's, that... A funny, there's a funny thing about Naras and the Grammy organization. It wasn't until 2001 or 2002, the year after that record came out, that they decided that, to um, acknowledge uh, Master and Engineer. One year. Uh, and in, even in the Best Engineered category. So prior to um, that, that was the last year that Master and Engineers weren't acknowledged. Um, <laughs> It was pretty weird, and there's actually some history to the whole thing. When I was um, um, assisting Bob back in the, um, uh, this would have been 84, 5, 6, um, this issue came to a head, and um, Bob, you know, um, uh, um, took issue with, um, Naras and the fact that they weren't acknowledging mastering right. engineers because mastering mastering had been previously considered part of the manufacturing process and through innovators like um, um, Brenda Groman and Bob Ludwig and um, 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 George Marino and later Ted Jensen uh, at all I mean there's the hundreds to, to thank right. for this they, uh, that they they brought the the um, mastering process. Uh, into a much more creative and much more uh, innovative realm by inc- by tech- making some of their own technology, by pushing technology to the limits, by 
you know, really creating styles by the way that they, you know, would master records. Mm. Um, there's a, there's two really, really different schools of thought in terms of mastering. Um, and you, when you bump into different people, you'll notice that they, they, they kind of have t- two different thoughts. And the one was way more common in the 70s and 80s, and that was that the mastering engineer was more or less a lab coat technician whose job it was to, was to <laughs> transfer the music precisely as it was given to him onto vinyl uh, with no technical flaws and while achieving as much of the sound quality and components of, of the original master as possible. To, like to do no harm, basically. Just <laughs> get out of it's, the way. It would be yeah. like, 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 a photo pro, like a photographic right, process. Right. Like, you know... Um, you know, make sure that the the copy is identical to the original, or as identical as the medium allows you to be. So that's what mastering was for you know 30 years prior to that point. But at some point, the uh, the group that I previously mentioned um, realized that if they did a little bit more, and instead of just using EQ to fix problems, using EQ and compression and and making decisions. Of, um, of production decisions as they went, they could actually um, um, they could actually influence the success of the project. They could actually make it more commercially successful. Mm. And as other people realized that, hey, these the records that were mastered at A and R or the records that were mastered at Sterling are you know charting uh-huh. better. Well, then a whole a whole um, um, enterprise was born out of that. Um, so it took. Another 20, you know, 15, 20 years for Naras to recognize that um, that mastering had changed from a from a, a transfer, um, you know, technician's job into a creative job. And uh, so in the 80s, Bob um, was uh, lobbying to have those rules changed, and actually, um, to my understanding, quit Naras over that issue for mm-hmm. a while. Then realized that he couldn't. He, he couldn't affect change from the outside. Rejoined Naras and got on committees and and uh, steered them and and very vocally uh, steered this into into being. So now uh, in the record of the year categories, the top the top two categories, and in the best engineered classical non classical master and engineer is credited for and receives a trophy. Um, I'm forced to uh, uh, be satisfied with a paper, uh, a certificate. Well, your, 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 yours is coming, I'm sure. Um, well, this, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 you know, it, it, it's, we, we, it's, it's a great organization, and it's a great honor. Um, it's just the process of, of being involved with a Grammy wedding record as a mastering engineer is, uh, is interesting. Is you basically have to align yourself with the producers that are about to make, you know, amazing right. records, and um, it's uh, it's something I haven't, um, despite, despite my uh, 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 sour grapes of uh, uh, not actually having a trophy for that record. Um, uh, it's it's it it it, um, it doesn't uh, um, doesn't enter into my daily. Uh, uh, right, thank I you very much. It it's, would, yeah. it, it's it's you know it's it's nice and and certainly. Um, um, you know, people who who've earned them, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, are entitled to the to the spoils. Um, you know, I display the record uh, proudly and and know that I was deeply involved in and helping make it a success. There were some very interesting moments in the process of making that record where it could have gone either way, uh, and I literally, um, you know, I, I I did everything that I could to. Um, achieve the best that that record you know 
could could be with uh, you know working alongside of <laughs> these monstrously great you know engineers and producers. Well, you know, listen. In my mind, you have you have you have a a trophy. Maybe Roger Nichols will give you one of his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to just when uh, you know with a little bit of time we we have left if we, if you have a little few, just a couple more minutes because I wanted to get to the you know kind of the main um, one of the main themes of of this podcast which is really that issue of of balancing life and and musical creativity you know musical career um, and I, I know that you know you're a family man and and you've you know. Um, I wanted just to, to hear from you a little bit about, because, you know, the, the how, I, you know, some uh, artists uh, or engineers certainly um, who have to spend 24-7 in the studio or have to be on call, um, you know, you are mentioning to me the, the other day that they, you know, it's, it's hard for them to have, a, you know, they have to make that the priority. How do they have a, a, any kind of stable family life? But you kind of chose a, a different um, set of priorities. Is that correct, in terms of your family versus your career? Yeah, I mean, they, they, yes, it's it's uh, correct, and I think the assumption, the the generalization is pretty accurate. Um, in general, mastering tends to be a a, um, a a career path where you can control your 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 involvement a little bit more. I mean, we're working on shorter projects, uh, much shorter durations. Um, we're, we're, I mean, same length in audio, but instead of working with somebody for two months, you know, recording or, you know, two or three weeks and mixing, we're working with somebody for a few hours in, in mastering. Right. So the impact of each one of the projects doesn't have an enormous impact on our life. It doesn't take us out of the country. It doesn't it take us on a tour um, around the world, you know, to support, the, you know, to do to, to, to live sound or to... Uh, or to tech, you know, um, you know, instruments or be part of the, uh, setup, a crew. So it's, you know, there's, there's, uh, a, um, there's a home basis, uh, you know, ability to, you know, to set up shop in a town and, and have some repeatability and have some comfort, uh, factor in all that. Um, it, you know, it almost chose me as much as I chose it. So I, I'm not <laughs> sure I, can really take credit for having figured this out in advance. Um, was, was there? I mentioned oh, at yeah. one point. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I mentioned before this idea of, of being concerned about whether I put my ladder up against the wrong building. Once I realized I'd kind of climbed the ladder into the mastering realm and could see myself being a mastering mm. engineer, I talked to some of my colleagues who had been mixing, who were mixers and becoming producers, and um, um, you know, at, initially. They were kind of like, so how do you like mastering? Is like, is that like enough for you? <laughs> you right. know, is it like? Because it seems kind of like you know, your glorified tape tape operator basically. Uh -huh. and, and I said, yeah, at times it's like that, but I get to sit next to Robbie Robertson or Eric Clapton for a yeah. few hours and talk about music, so that's kind of cool. Uh, when, when was that? When did Robbie? <laughs> that was just, when was the last time that you uh, you uh, did a session with Robbie Robertson? Or, uh. Oh, this actually goes back quite a ways. Um, it was just a massively cool opportunity, a, 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 a chance, coincidental situation. This was um, in, uh, oh, it was probably in the uh, early 90s. Um, Eric was working on a record that um, um, I had I had begun, I'd managed to make myself quite um, indispensable as a digital editor at mm. one point. All of the senior mastering engineers didn't want to adapt, didn't adapt so easily to the new technology. And being a younger guy, I, 
dug into the manual and I just I figured it out. I got mm-hmm. really good at it. So people came to me to edit, especially live records together, because I could do it quick, quicker and, and better uh-huh. than most at the time. This is when computer-controlled stuff was just getting started, so there was very few people doing this. And so this was a record that actually wasn't going to be mastered at Masterdisc, but they wanted it assembled by me. And so Eric Clapton and his producer were literally in my editing room putting um, 24, I think it was 24 Nights together. It was a live um, Clapton recording. And Robbie Robertson walks down the hall on his way to Bob Ludwig's studio because that same day he was mastering um, the... Um, um, uh, uh, one of the solo albums or an older? It was the solo album, album, and it was one that had uh, "Somewhere Down the Crazy mm-hmm. River" on it and a "Broken Arrow." Um, I can't remember. Um, I can't put the name of it in my head right at the moment. But it was um, Bob Claremont that um, had recorded it and um, uh, uh, remixed it anyway. But uh, it was that those two in a chance meeting, and then the conversation that they had. I, I, I told the stories many times. I remember sitting there and uh, looking at the other person in the room and <laughs> just realizing that we both kind of had the same thought. If we sit really still, they won't notice we're here. <laughs> <laughs> and so neither of us said anything or did anything. We didn't, you know, we didn't look, you know, interrupted. We didn't, we didn't, we just were furniture for a moment and, and uh, listened to the, um, these two, um, um, uh, people that we really we all idolized uh, um, you know just be just human for a few minutes and it was it was great it wasn't they weren't posing for a camera they were just two friends that hadn't seen each other in a long time so that, i think that's the, the robbie robertson uh the album's called robbie robertson i was just looking up okay that's yeah. Probably, yeah. and there, there was uh daniel that's, lanois peter gabriel was exactly Did they, were they around there yep. also for, for that session um, I did have a, a, a one day where I, where I worked with them. Um, my my job at the time was to do digital prep work before Bob's sessions. So the client, his clients would come in with and work with me the day before the mastering session. It was it was scheduled this way on purpose because um, Bob's time needed to be optimized in the mastering studio doing the mastering. So we would assemble the record digitally um, onto uh, sixteen thirty uh, digital mm-hmm. tapes prior to his session so that he could work effectively and efficiently. So that gave me the opportunity to work with these producers and engineers um, in in my area of expertise, which was the, the digital editing, transfer and editing. Um, I, I used to joke with my friends, you know, over over drinks, and they said, you know, see my name on a record, and they're like, what, what did you do? What was, what was your role? I said, well, you know when the song is playing, and it starts to fade, and they go, yeah. I said, okay, so it starts to fade out, and it gets right down, like right about near zero when you really can't hear it anymore. And I go, yeah. And then the time between then and when the next song starts, and, they, and then I wait for them to acknowledge, and I say, that's me. <laughs> that's like a very zen, uh, zen place to be. I mean, I put everything I had into that silence. Oh, um <laughs> But 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 it's actually it could be done well and it could be done really well and I just did it as, as best as I could and people sort of recognized that like oh my god I never even thought about that you know the bottom end of the fade and how much it affects the way I hear the record and right. blah 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 so yeah the, I, it, it was nice it was really nice being around somebody that 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 uh, with Dave with Malton that taught the the fundamentals so well and then transitioning that right into to Bob Ludwig who just there was there was only one way to do everything, and that was the best possible way it could be done. And so, 
that's uh, that's how um, <laughs> that's how I look at hmm. everything audio. What's the best possible way we could do this? Do, do you apply that? And, do, you uh, pl- do you apply that to other areas of life too? That philosophy, let's say, to relationships and and you know, or is that kind of stay? You know, music and. That, yeah, that would have been a really great idea. <laughs> 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 that would have been a really great, in hindsight, that would have really helped a lot. <laughs> well, it's not too late. Right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I'm working on yeah. that. It's, it, it, I, I didn't get the, plant, the, 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 the background, but um, I'm joking. Uh, yes, I try. <laughs> I, I try. <laughs> I don't seem to have. Uh, I don't have Grammy uh, award <laughs> results all the time. Right. Well, uh, a but, few, uh, few people. <laughs> I yeah. keep trying. Um, you know, to, but to, to not joke, I've got two amazing daughters, uh, both are, you know, you know, beautifully well in school, both are creative, one uh, wants to be a dancer, the others um, are quite accomplished for her age, um, mm. trumpeter, um, um, and enjoys a lot of the music that I enjoy, so we go to, well, we see shows that we, you know, are both pretty blown away yeah, by yeah. And, and things, so um, watching them experience and, and try to figure out who mm. they want to be. Um, you know, and and get a little chance, a glimpse into what I do. Uh, that's all been great, and I wouldn't wouldn't trade that oh, for that's, anything. That's beautiful. Um, so just just one, I have one more question. I know I, I really appreciate your time, Scott. This has been an incredible. I, I'm I'm yeah. okay. I'm enjoying the conversation. So um, no one's come looking right. for me yet. So <laughs> no, because I, 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 mean, I want to get back to some of the technical stuff because now, you know. Um, sure. So so you, you had mentioned. Um, with the in terms of uh, let's say a plug-in that uh, let's say a person is 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 looking to learn um you know they, they have a track and they, they've mixed it to the best of their ability and and you know they know that it needs the mastering step um so it, so you know in terms obviously one one you know the, probably the best case scenario would be they they send it to master disc and you'd you know you'd put your hands on it right but let's so let's say we were talking about the scenario of the, you know do it yourself musician who can't necessarily do that with every track so what, what would be the, the 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 quickest and most effective path to a well you know maybe not ideally but but you know a, a good sounding um or at least learning that process to get better and better at that okay. like, is there a particular plug-in I, I or you yeah. know a particular thing to listen for like say I, you know, for example, well, I, I use logic. I so if, if if that applies um, specific, okay. specifically to that, well, the um, uh, there's good news and bad news. I mean, it can certainly be learned. Um, the bad news is once you're in the middle of doing a project, um, you're it's it's not something that you can um, sort of dial in um, effectively without having done a quite a bit of mm-hmm. homework. So the bad news is you have to really have studied what it is that your system sounds like. Um, so, so here's the recommendation. It's not going to be quite as appealing to people because it entails a fair amount okay. of hard work. Um, but at some point during your project, hopefully just as you're finishing your mixes or uh, nearing the end of your mixes, you need to kind of stop working on your project and listen to a lot of other people's mm-hmm. work to understand what your speakers sound like. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You have to know whether you're mastering or and or mixing towards something that is uh, has a has a, a peculiar color to it. So everybody sort of listens to other people's music, but I mean you have to. S- 
really kind of study other people's music and, and a wide variety of it. And then from that, if you're, if you're kind of able to catalog your results as you're listening, you'll, you'll begin to have a basis for, uh, it's, it's, it's I, what I call, it, it would be the same equivalent to sharpening mm -hmm. your tools before you try to do a carving. It's like if the tools, if you don't know what the tool, how the tools are shaped and how sharp they are, you really have no idea how it's going to affect the project when you dig in. So you got to start by sharpening your, your ears and your own personal acuity, and you've got to understand what it is that you're listening to. Because, every, I mean, every single time somebody sends me something that um, is a sort of a mix-at-home or master-at-home sort mm -hmm. of project, the very first comment from even from them is usually, well, I'm really not quite so sure because I have a little trouble hearing the bass in my room. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> boy, that's really yeah. hard to make mix decisions if you're not quite sure right. what you're hearing. Right. If you haven't figured out your speakers, I mean, really figured them out, then you are guessing. Um, but the good news is there's always somebody that you could hire as a mastering engineer to help fix it or help you correct, help you understand what the right. problem is and help you correct it. Um, but so understanding the speakers is in my mind, you know, a several day process of getting up every day and listening to a dozen records, not the whole way through, not even through whole songs, but listening to, you know, let's say you're going to do a singer songwriter thing. So you might pick, you know, 15 different historic and current and classic, uh, uh, singer songwriters that you want to listen to and you listen to a minute or two mm -hmm. of each one of them off of different records and you through that you can sort of quick step you know sort of short circuit the you know the 10-year process that it takes to actually do that you can hear real. you can pull out things that you're that you like that that you might be trying to emulate in the sound of you know. uh, yes yes but you're actually looking for global issues mm. if you listen to 15 different people and they all sound like the you know the bass is not very you know but you, you have to you have to understand how to how to uh, how to um you have to develop a way to um communicate with yourself about what mm. you're hearing okay this sounds really okay, existential uh, but you know <laughs> you can listen to music but you've got to catalog your results of what you're hearing so you actually physically sit got a pen and paper um, and writing down. So what what are you cataloging? Yeah, this one the the, the snare's kind of smeary. Mm. The vocals a little bit behind the behind the guitars. Boy, everything seems kind of kind of snappy and bright on this one. Who mastered it? Oh yeah, that's the uh, that was uh, um, you know Bernie Grunman. Okay, um, yeah, let me listen to something else. And so now the same artist but mastered by somebody else. Oh, this is interesting. The vocal is way more upfront, but it's darker. Okay, you know, but you, you realize every record is this right. whole different beast. So even if you listen to 30 records, you, you almost still don't really have a synopsis of what your speakers mm -hmm. sound like. You're trying to figure out if you could listen to a whole bunch of stuff, you know, whether your speakers are lying to you or not. That's actually what, you, what you've got to determine before you could even start uh -huh. making decisions about how to finalize your mix and, 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 and make your master. So that's sort of the bad news is to do it well really takes some that's, time. That's actually, yeah, uh, sounds to me like good news. Because <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, just, the idea of sitting down to listen to music, you know, for, for anybody, I mean, everyone loves, loves music, you know, so most, most people, I think, the, you know, music becomes like a back, background soundtrack. You know, obviously for um, a musician or a real music lover, they might put aside a time in a, in a day to 
you know, certainly even when driving, you can kind of listen deeply. I mean, the deep listening time. But it seems like it's almost like a regular activity that you're that you're proposing, that you're recommending, of kind of having some deep listening time uh, as a learning yep. process. And and you you still do that on a regular basis, or are you just because you um, do it all the I, time as your I, job? <laughs> I do it every. I do it for many two hours uh, for way more hours a day than I really should. I mean, you mean but, listening uh, for pleasure, meaning not, not work-related listening. You mean listening to albums that are, that I, are nothing, yeah. You still, you... No, I, I'm saying I, I, I work with my ears. Right. You know, uh, eight to eight to 15 right. hours a day, um, almost every day. So it's, it, it's, um, it's not, it's not something I need to, to tune up, except when I find, if, I find if I've taken some time off, or if I've gone to do something non-musical for for a few days, I actually come back to my room and I'm like, hmm. And then I put on a couple of my known records mm. and I center my center myself, you know, real quickly. Especially if I feel like I'm a little bit a little bit unsure about what I'm hearing. But time time away is a great thing. Right. But um, um, this is this is literally um, tra- right, ear right. training. This is ear and room training. Um, I'll name drop Moulton one more time. Um, he's got a, 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 a CD series called Golden uh-huh. Ears. Available online. Just look up uh, Golden Ears by David Moulton. Um, it's not cheap, but it is a self-study program on how to start listening like uh-huh. an engineer. And it's excellent. It's He, he developed that program during our my time at Fredonia, and we were his guinea uh-huh. pigs. <laughs> And um, it was really effective. Um, by the end of a semester, well, let's say by the end of a year of doing these exercises for about 15 minutes once a week during our general meetings, by the end of that semester, anybody that was even marginally paying attention um, could uh, discern, uh, was better at, listen, at listening to music and audio. Not from a, not from a creative, like, oh, there's... Um, there's there's too much bass in this, or not as a creative like oh the vocals mm-hmm. kind of harsh, but from a technical standpoint, we could listen to something and go there is too much 375 wow. hertz in this recording, <laughs> 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 and it was just the repetition, just like a musician might teach themselves a a form of perfect pitch by listening to a pitch reference over uh-huh. and over again and doing the same exercise every day. By doing this exercise, even sort of casually, it was in a gigantic room. There was uh, 75 of us, and he, he, it was a 10, 10. It was one test. We had a piece of paper. It was wasn't graded. There was no. You didn't get grade for good or bad results. It was only whether or not you had enough curiosity to um, to investigate on your own. You know what you were hearing and why. But even from across the room and the sound bouncing around in a room, we could tell whether the sound was boosted 3dB um, at, and at what wow. octave, uh, you know, at, at what, what center frequency on a, on a, on a graphic EQ. Anyway, it's, it's, it, it's just, there are some techniques for definitely um, improving. And uh, everybody that I've turned that program, that have turned on to that program has been happy with the, you know, with their improvements, with their their results to be able to, um, to be conversational and started like, it's not like, well, this this is kind of bright, um, you know, or can you make this recording a little brighter, but then the language changes. I think there's enough around 4k, but I'm I'm kind of missing, uh, you know, I I feel like there's not enough air like above 10k, like first top octave. Yeah. 
you know, so the language gets much more specific and, 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 and you can communicate with others a lot that's more. That's really, I mean, so that's, that's a really great recommend. I mean, I'm going to check that out. That's, looks, that's yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, from, I, I like the, the, the corollary would be for a musician to actually being able to know what notes are supposed to be played. Is <laughs> the difference between reading the music and not, or being able to be able to copycat someone else because they, they hear a set of notes and know what those notes are on their right. instrument. Um, that's that's kind of the equivalent of being able to do that in, in audio. Well, I mean, it's just, just wrapping wrapping one's head around, let's say, the mastering art. I mean, obviously, there's there's the EQ is a huge thing. Um, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm gonna let me let me interrupt because I, I could I could pick up from the from the uh, the understanding your speakers yeah. sure, point sure. where we left off because that's 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 first step because you can really start turning knobs and if you really aren't convinced and, and certain about what your speakers are telling you. Um, you're just you're just guessing, and in fact, you're probably messing it up more mm -hmm. than you're helping it. Um, but once you understand the speakers, and those don't have to be five thousand dollar speakers. It can be a, a, a fifty dollar or five hundred dollar set of speakers, or maybe a, a hundred dollar set of headphones that you know mm -hmm. really really well. Um, but just listen I mean, to everything on yeah, those yeah. so that they become right. a reference. So, so okay, that, I mean that's that's life changing. <laughs> I'll tell you as a, as a you know, <laughs> recording engineer. Well, there is no such. I, I, I was always amazed at how how many really good artists and even some not so much producers, but but, but some artists that were really well known for having good sounding records didn't quite understand that sound wasn't universal. Mm. In other words, they would go into one studio and hear their music played back, and then go into another studio and hear it, and it would sound different to them, and they really couldn't wrap their head around why. And it was it was kind of surprised me that that, that that you know happened over and over again. Now the the astute the ones who had understood sort of the basics of engineering, you know, didn't really question that. That seemed normal. Of course, they're going to sound different. Two rooms, two different sets of speakers, two different environments. Um, but the others really felt that were that were dealing with with recording on more of a intellectual, uh, subconscious sort of emotional mm -hmm. level. Um, those people had trouble understanding why it didn't sound the same. So they would make a change so that it made them feel good. <laughs> and then they would go to another room and it wouldn't make them feel right. good anymore. And so they assumed that they had done something wrong. So they'd make, they'd make another change. <laughs> and, like an um, and so those, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's what happens when you don't have enough knowledge. It's just, I suppose it's probably uh, similar in in art and in, in in other forms of expression or poetry or writing, where you just you know if you're just if you're just going on the emotional uh, impact, um, it's now taking into fact that uh, taking into account the fact that your emotions mm -hmm. are different from right. one day to the next as well. Huh. You may be, um, you know really interested in engaging deeply in it and another day it's it's you're passively interested in it and so your reaction is going to be really different so you've got to to really understand all of that i mean well, let me mm -hmm. jump off topic for a second as i find it's really helpful sometimes to let myself um wait <laughs> until i'm in the right sort of frame of mind to work on a piece right. of music um Sitting down and turning knobs works when I've got when I instant when I, I connect with the music and I instantly know what I want to do with it. But when on days and it's not clear, when it sort of sounds good, but I don't know what's what's wrong with it, or if there's really maybe nothing that I can improve mm -hmm. on it, 
I really have to let it work on me a little bit. And then, then I start mm. to get clues. As, uh, you know, I, and I'm literally pretty sure that that's, I have to kind of let the overwhelming, uh, the other mental stuff that's, you know, that's, you know, running around in my mind at the time, I have to let that stuff, you know, settle down. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but there's, 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 <laughs> you know, if you think a little bit of even about how mm-hmm. we hear, you know, it's, but we, we like to use language that makes it seem like we hear very precisely mm-hmm. <laughs> because we hear with very minute detail, but it's not particularly precise and it's not particularly repeatable mm-hmm. other than our, our reactions to it. So, um, Anyway, it's there's 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 a lot to uh, uh, maybe we know, should that's we a should thumbnail for an entire. I'd love I'd love to do this again. I really enjoyed talking to you. I've learned so much from you, and and <laughs> I really really appreciate your time. Um, you know the the idea of it's sort of just in terms of it seems like the opposite of let's say being becoming very familiar with with your system with one system. Obviously, one of the goals of mastering is to make sure something sounds good on as many you know every everywhere. Um, how, how does, how do you accomplish that? Is that, is that done by checking it, you know, with little headphones and with, you know, with, with lo-fi systems and, or, or you don't, or you just, or from, a, you know, have you played around with that? Um, trying it in a car, trying, yeah, trying on this a, stereo a, system, that stereo system, or, or is that just, I, I've done, uh, I, I initially I did a little bit of that. And of course the, you know, obligatory listening yeah. to the cars and, and listening at home and things. It's it's interesting and it's um, it's going to frustrate uh, you know the the, the want to do this at home folks, but literally how I know whether my stuff mm-hmm. is compatible is by the feedback that I get from uh-huh. my clients, and so it's the repetition of the craft and the reinforcement that it's good, literally comes from the people who hire me and come back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's literally how simple it is. I mean, I have set it up so that it, when it sounds good to me in oh. my room, uh, that's when I get positive feedback. And I know that that work is working because I'm getting positive feedback from my clients on a on so a. That just takes basis. time and investment. So, it sounds like it, and, and a lot of experience. Yeah, and it, it, it really yeah. does to, to to really know. Yeah. I mean, the, the, to say it a different way, when I. Yeah, I've I've moved rooms um, and changed my rooms, um, you know, more often maybe than than a lot of um, engineers, uh, 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 master engineers, and so I've, I've got kind of used mm-hmm. to the method. Um, but what what happens is um, I, I I set up a room until it sort of sounds good to me, and then I start working on on records uh, on people's mm-hmm. work. And uh, when uh, I get feedback from them that everything sounds good, I'm like, okay, you know, I, 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 that, that helps my confidence and um, a little bit. But as you can imagine, when you get feedback, right. negative feedback from somebody, that's a, a, that is very distinct and very directive. Um, and um, almost, well, in, when I'm initially setting up in a room, I, um, you know, every negative comment um, Usually responds. I usually respond in some way by by changing the room uh-huh. subtly, because I feel like um, the room didn't tell me what I was expecting to hear. Now I, you know, just like listening to people's music, I have to kind of come up with an average. But if, but if someone but, if someone um, tells you that they don't, I, let's I, say that 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 they're not happy with with you know 
something they want you to, to, to take another crack at it. I mean, I, I imagine if it was another mastering engineer, they could tell you exactly what it was. But if it's, if it's an artist that maybe has a vague idea of what they don't like about it, how do you translate that into clear technical terms? And, and therefore, to, to even to adjust your um, room or adjust your I, method? Well, I... Yeah, it's I, I, you, you have to. I, I'd like to pretend that the gear in my room doesn't have any face plates or anything okay. written on the face plates. So it's just a big black block, big black uh-huh. box. Um, and when a client asks, says that there's too much, it, it feels like it's too compressed. Um, I might ask a question. Well, what's what's the effect that you're hearing that makes you think uh-huh. it's too compressed? And uh, they go, well, what, is it not compressed? It's like, no, I'm not saying it wasn't compressed. They say, what, um, it's, it, it, there's another level of identification that I need. This, is it causing the vocal to be buried by the track? Is it causing the vocal to pop out of uh-huh. the track too much? Is it causing the guitars to seem too edgy? Or is it causing the bass to be brought up so much that the guitars have lost their edge? You yeah, see, I, you by, specific questions. Uh, yeah. By saying something is yeah. too compressed, I can, I can describe... Um, a, a number of completely diametrically opposed mm-hmm. situations. So I have to understand more about what they want, but I don't need it more technically. I, I need it. I need just more Got specificity, it. but it doesn't, I, they don't have to tell me, well, the crest rate, the crest ratio on the, on the compressor is causing <laughs> right. the, the snare to, because almost every time someone gets that technical as an engineer and tries to give me an engineering solution, <laughs> they're not, they're not, it's not actually what's going on. It's because, and that's the black art of what we do. It seems like it's something other than it is. It's actually so unbelievably simple that people don't want to believe how simple it is. Right. <laughs> so they want to complicate it. They want to get really deep in the analysis of it, but it's so simple. It's just I know my speakers, and I know when it sounds good, mm. and so and so I I keep turning the knobs until it sounds good. And it's it's almost that yeah. simple. <laughs> um. I love it, um, Scott. So it's yeah. it's really been a pleasure. Um, so I, I really I hope we could get to do this again. I'd love to, you know, especially if you're getting some kind of online offering together. Um, I hope you you would, you know, you have so much to offer, you know, in the in the, in the near future. You know, we can maybe um, we can help you, you know, get the word out about it. Um, I'd be I would love. Yeah, it would be great. And um, yes, this is uh, becoming a focus. And um, um, yeah, I'd love to get your uh, your feedback on it. And um, um, and happy to do something like this again if you uh, um, if you can keep me on top. Yeah, you know, for me, for me, uh, listen, I'm I'm uh, basking in your in your knowledge. It's it's a pleasure. So um, let's. Yeah. But it's 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 fun, and I like to take the opportunity to um, to uh, you know to uh, 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 bring a little bit different read to some of the the topics and and um, you know because i listen to how other people describe mastering listen to how other people just just you know describe their you know the the tools and how they interact with them and um, i think if you can if you can get a little bit further view away from you know what's written up in in the sweetwater catalog and and uh, and what's being said on 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 a traditional sort of engineer slash mastering blogs you know it's <laughs> there's a reason there's uh, I, there's a really good reason why people pay a lot more money to have uh, a, you know a, a very specific person mm. master their record it's not because of the gear it's not because of, of of his story it's not because their name on the record helps it sell more it's that they bring something with their own 
personality and their own uh, integrity to that project that that, that that same producer hasn't found with anybody else. Clearly, if a producer could find that result, you know, at com, you know, we would be, we'd be at, our career would be at the side of the road just like a typesetter's job is, is, is right. long gone because the, the need is no longer there. You can get it done better, you know, with a desktop publishing right. software. Right. But there's still clearly something different that the human and the specific the training and knowledge and experience can can bring to it. We all sort of know that, but the industry has made us kind of cognizant that we we have to make our we have to uh, cut corners. We have to make our art less expensive. Um, but we really have to spend just a little bit of time thinking about if it's not the best it can be. Are you know are, what are we doing it for? You know, are are you know? Sure, there's reasons to just. To, to put music out and let people hear it and in this environment. But if it really can be better and, and, and people who really know what they're doing can, you know, understand that, that, that it can be better. Uh, you know, we, we'll have to be careful that we're not watering down our, our just our entire musical existence uh, uh, for the sake of, of um, for, for the sake like, of I don't think there's a, there's a hunger for that you know, pursuit of excellence. And I think you're a great, you're a great example of, you know, and everything you've, you've shared today and just the, the way you, um, I mean, you're practically the results, <laughs> the, the music that you master that, that comes out sounding so great. I know you mastered um, both of our, our album, the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors albums. And, you know, listen, I, they couldn't, I couldn't be happier with the way they sound. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I listen, I wish you a lot of success, you know, continued success and increasing success. And health and, and happiness as well, um, and let's and let, let's try to do this again. Uh, it sounds great. I really really appreciate it, and uh, um, look forward to checking okay. out your blog. Okay, we'll do the, pod, the podcast. podcast. Maybe a blog to go <laughs> along with it at some point. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you all. The, I'll send cool. you all the info when we get it up. All right, great. Okay. Yeah, have a have a great, a great day. Scott, the, thanks a lot. Yes. Thank you. Bye bye. Wow. So much to unpack from that interview. I think that may be the reason why it took me a year to <laughs> to get together for release. And in that in that year so much has happened in terms of my own process as, a, as an engineer, as a musician, as, as someone who's trying to engineer their own recordings, which is its own challenge, uh, and all, all that training that Scott talks about, even though I haven't taken advantage of it to the fullest extent possible, obviously, not even close, but it has extremely influenced the way I've listened, especially the, the part about getting to know the room and I, I have a here in the control room at Sound Heights. Uh, we have a you know record player set up and and a whole bunch of other ways to to listen to music, and we listen a lot over here. And it's a great way to reference the recordings that we do and and try to compare. And hopefully a little bit better and better each time. We have a a bunch of things we've put up already uh, on SoundCloud. We've released two videos of of new music. Off in the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors uh, on the Sound Heights Records YouTube. 
And you can find it all on Patreon, which is the place to come and support our work, the music we're making, the videos we're making, these podcasts. We really appreciate the support. As little as a dollar, two dollars a month, um, could be more per release, or just you can limit it to one time a month. It's at patreon.com slash soundheightsrecord. A big thank you to Scott Hull for joining us and sharing with us his incredible knowledge and experience and thank you all for listening and remember increasing singing and playing of music will bring about the true and complete redemption see you next time